From pediatrics to geriatrics, Maine Medical Center is centered around you. Welcome to MMC Radio, your trusted source for healthcare news and tips. Here's Melanie Cole. It's estimated that more than 5 million men in the United States suffer from bladder problems and incontinence. Often men are uninformed about this topic and the challenges that it can present. My guest today is Dr. Clay McDonough. He's a urologist and co-director of the Maine Medical Partners Pelvic Medicine and Reconstructive Surgery Program. Welcome to the show, Dr. McDonough. So male incontinence, something that men never want to mention, they don't want to hear the words, and they certainly don't want to go see a doctor about it. So what would signal a man to really have to go and have his wife shove him into the doctor to see you? Well, uh, certainly male incontinence is, uh, incontinence in general with men is almost a dirty word. It's something that uh, a lot of folks don't you know, want to talk about. Uh, but it's a more prevalent problem than, uh, than you know, we we really, or then a lot of patients realize. And it's just a question of the patients getting over the hump of wanting to talk about it, uh, because we certainly have plenty of, uh, you know, treatments available for, you know, all the various causes. So what are some of the causes now, if a man is suffering from prostate cancer and he has his prostate removed, we hear that that's one of the major side effects is going to be sexual dysfunction and incontinence. Aside from that, what might be some of the other causes? Well, certainly, uh, you know, prostate surgery is probably the biggest culprit that we have, and that's not necessarily just for cancer removal. It can be a side effect of you know other urologic procedures, unfortunately. Uh, but aside from that, um, you know, just the very common problem of you know uh, benign prostatic hyperplasia or enlarged prostate if very severe, can lead to incontinence. There's a couple types we see with that. Sometimes the bladder is, you know, significantly overactive as a result of it being obstructed. Uh, but also men can unfortunately trap a little bit of urine in the in the prostate as a result of it being enlarged, which can lead to, you know, fairly inconvenient and annoying you know, dribbling after voiding, which uh, it can be very bothersome to patients. Another common uh, cause is a uh, uh, history of stroke. Um, uh, certainly the uh, the, the changes that occur with the brain, unfortunately, can regulate sort of how the bladder works, uh, even if they don't have any other residual sequelae after the uh, event. Uh, it can lead to some you know, very distressing urgent continence afterwards. And then, you know, endocrine problems as well. Diabetes, for instance, you know, uh, people often hear about the you know, cardiovascular problems of diabetes and the, you know, neurologic problems with regards to neuropathy in the hands and feet, for example, but uh, that same type of neuropathy can affect the bladder and, and lead to incontinence as well. So men don't want to talk about it. That's true. If they do decide that they need to seek treatment, what is the first thing that you ask them? What do you do for them as a first line of defense? Well, the, the first thing to do is to really figure out, you know, what exactly they're doing when they leak. Incontinence is a fairly complex situation in the sense that, you know, it's a very broad term. It doesn't mean a lot in and of itself other than, you know, I leak. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's very important for me to characterize what exactly is happening when the person, when the person leaks. You know, it, it, that's really the biggest part of that first history taking with that patient is to understand the, the circumstances. You know, the person that leaks when they cough or sneeze is a lot different than the person who has to race to get to the bathroom or they're going to basically dump their whole bladder content, which is different than the guy that voids and, you know, dribbles a little bit afterwards. And, and so 
uh, it's amazing how much information I can get, you know, without launching into giant invasive testing that, that I can get just from talking to the patient and, and getting them to characterize exactly what's happening. And then what do you do for them? Women, we hear that we're supposed to strengthen our pelvic floor muscles and do our Kegel exercises. Can men do them as well? Oh, certainly. Men can definitely uh, benefit from Kegel exercises. And Kegel exercises do, you know, a couple different things. You know, one is it's going to strengthen the pelvic floor, obviously. It's going to work on, you know, tightening that, that urinary sphincter. It's going to work on, you know, increasing or, excuse me, decreasing the reaction time so that sphincter can close appropriately. But... In addition to that, that whole act of just sort of tightening up the pelvis is relatively hardwired into our brain to basically also send signals to the bladder to say, you know, this is not the time that I need to go. You know, if any of us have the the urge to go, if we've had the 32-ounce Coke at a movie and, you know, we need to urinate before the last 10 minutes is over and we don't want to go, we tighten up our pelvises and and that basically makes the urge go away. And, and, And doing the Kegel exercises helps reinforce that. So what other treatments do, you know, men don't want to depend on depends, and they certainly, you know, don't want to have to try some of these things that might be embarrassing if they're caught in public doing them. So what kind of treatments? Are there medications? Are there interventions? What do you do? It depends on the situation. You know, for the folks who have, uh, you know, BPH or obstruction, if it's clearly that's what it is, and, you know, we may need to do some testing to figure that out, but if it's clearly obstruction, then, you know, we can treat that obstruction. Um, you know, the bladder has to work hard to get urine past an enlarged prostate, and then the process can often become irritable. If we remove that obstruction in some way, that can often make those symptoms better. And that's probably the most that I see outside of the post-prostatectomy population. And, and that may vary from, you know, just taking some basic medicines that we would treat your average enlarged prostate patient with, something like what we call an alpha blocker, a 5-alpha reductase inhibitor. They're all about sort of opening up that prostate so that uh, it doesn't, the bladder doesn't have to work as hard. However, um, sometimes we need to work on the bladder as well. And there's certainly an entire battery of medications that we have that are available. Um, uh, anticholinergics are, are one family of those uh, that are designed to essentially you know, prevent a lot of those signals to contract from going into the bladder. Uh, there's also a new class of medications that's come out recently called beta-3 agonists. So there's only one available at the moment, but uh, it's actually more of a direct signal to the bladder to relax. So it accomplishes the, the same thing, just from a, a somewhat different tack. Um, if medications fail and we're dealing with overactivity that's not involved with obstruction, say somebody that has a history of a neurologic disease, for instance, there's a, a couple of options we have available along those lines as well. Um, you know, if Normally, we're going to try medicines first, but if they don't work, then uh, we have uh, neuromodulation, which is uh, stimulating the nerves that go to the bladder with electricity. It's not well understood how that works. We've been doing it since the 1980s, so we've definitely proven it's safe, and there's a couple different ways of delivering that, either through a surgical implant that we put into the spine or through an office-based therapy where we put a small needle electrode near the posterior tibial nerve in the, in the ankle uh, and send signals in that way. And in both of those cases, about two-thirds of patients with overactive bladder-type you know, type symptoms, of which urge incontinence is a cause, um, in both of those patients, or both of those populations, about two-thirds of patients are going to demonstrate at least 50% improvement. Um, and then in addition to that, we have uh, Botox injections into the bladder. Those have been around 
really since the early 2000s, but only in the past couple of years have finally been approved by the FDA for use. And, and we do a fair amount of Botox injections as well. Um, it's a nice option uh, for folks that uh, you know don't want to deal with the electrical therapy, but uh, it does require treatments you know, one or two times a year generally to, to maintain the, uh, the benefits. Dr. McDonough, do some of these treatments you're describing increase the risk for sexual dysfunction? Do these things go together, and might that be a reason that some men hesitate to do anything about this? No, they shouldn't uh, be tied together at all. At least none of the treatments are going to necessarily impact upon that. Now, that being said, if, if we're talking about, say, an enlarged prostate, for instance, and we've done all the medicines and we start talking about doing, you know, for lack of a better term, a rotorooter on the prostate. There's different ways of sort of removing that tissue from the inside, be it with electricity or or lasers or what have you. And, and there's a slight risk of uh, erectile dysfunction uh, from some of those surgeries. But overall, it's fairly minor and shouldn't impact upon that. I, I will admit that, you know, sexual function is something that is, you know, a very common problem. And it's a fear for a lot of men, and they don't like to necessarily talk about it. It's uh, often one of those, oh, by the way, things that gets popped up in the last 30 seconds of, you know, the planned appointment, which, you know, we have to delve in <laughs> somewhat differently into. But uh, um, uh, there shouldn't be any fear of that as a result of the treatment of incontinence. In just the last minute, if you would, Dr. McDonough, give your best advice for males suffering from male incontinence or for the females that love them and have to get them into the doctor to seek help and why they should come to Maine Medical Partners for their care? Well, in short, it's something that we can do something about. Um, incontinence is, is never normal. Um, you know, that people talk about, well, if we get older, we're going to leak. And that's not entirely true. Um, and honestly, it is something that we have many options available for, uh, but we certainly can't treat it if we don't know about it. So it's important that uh, they bring it up, if not to me directly as a, you know, coming straight into my clinic, but to their primary care doctor. And uh, if it is something of concern, then they can send them to us and, and we can review all those options and, and get them treated so it's not a problem anymore. Thank you so much. It's great information. You're listening to MMC Radio. And for more information, you can go to mainmedicalcenter.org. That's mainmedicalcenter.org, mmc.org. This is Melanie Cole. Thanks for listening.